Anyway, let me pray now because I want to get into the message uh, for this week. We're starting a new series for four weeks. We're doing a series entitled The F Word, a rather contentious title maybe. And by the way, if, uh, before I pray, I came across this book. Flissy actually gave it to me. She picks up books like Magpies. And this is one by Mark Mittelberg. And it's called Choosing Your Faith, a provocative title, Choosing Your Faith. And if you are the kind of person who likes to talk to others, particularly who people who are like pre-faith or, 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 or people who are exploring faith, or if you have relatives that are asking questions about faith, this is a wonderful book. We've got copies on the, the bookstall. I think it's around £10, so it ain't the cheapest of books, but it's hardback. And it deals with with you know relativity so this is my truth you know we find your you know finding your own faith questions that that people are asking i come across people who say well actually i used to be an atheist i'm not an atheist now but i'm not convinced that christianity is the way why choose christianity why choose faith secondly things like you know uh you know what logic evidence and science you know the mystical approach we still meet and increasingly so people who are t- totally living in that realm of feeling and intuition that has many strengths it has some weaknesses and concerns too all sorts of topics in this book and i it's very well written i do recommend it to you mark mittelberg's choosing your faith that's on the bookstall get it while it's hot let me pray heavenly father I want to say thank you to you as we begin this short series on the F word. I pray, Lord God, as Paul and many apostles and saints down the centuries have, we pray that out of your great and glorious riches, you'll strengthen us through your Holy Spirit in our innermost being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The F word. Do you know, I have a friend, Trevor Withers, who heads up the Cell Church in, in Harpenden, and he's just been out to Tanzania. It was about a dozen, in fact, a few more, went to Tanzania, and they went deep into the countryside, into rural Tanzania. And there were about six, uh, it was a father-son trip. Great idea. There were six or seven um, fathers and uh, some, a number of sons, and they were going out uh, to a, a, a missionary enterprise where there is a church, a, a school, a health center, um, dormitories for orphans and things like that. And every year, Cell Church uh, goes out there and builds a bit more. And so they were going out. They've been this two or three times. Uh, and this time, and a lovely, lovely thing, they, they took uh, a couple of guys who they are friends with and who are sort of loosely connected to the church. One of them is sort of getting there as a Christian. The other really isn't a Christian yet. But he had relationship with these guys. So was delighted to go out there. But he said, you know what, I, you know, I'll see about the religious thing, when, you know, the church thing. We'll, we, we, I don't know whether I'll come or what. You know. And um, so he decided when he was out there, even though his son went into the church on Sunday morning, to, to not go in. And, and so he sat outside. And um, I said to Trevor, I said, what was the service like? And he says, well, it was very Pentecostal, but it was just full of African kids singing their lungs out. And he said, it was absolutely glorious, a taste of heaven, taste of heaven. And I said, well, didn't that guy just sort of get drawn in by the music or anything? He said, no, he, he was, you know, he's a lovely guy. He's an architect, very intelligent, very bright, but he sat out by the well and, uh, you know, read and, and did other things. And I just thought to myself, how weird is that? 
You know, how weird is that? It's weird because if you go to a friend's house, you know, a weekend away, and they say, we're going to go to the car boot sale this afternoon. You want to come? You know, courtesy demands that you say, oh, yeah, lovely. You may never have been to a car boot sale in your life, you know, but you'll go to the car boot sale. You go to another friend and they say, we've got a concert at, at, at the school this evening. Little Tommy is in, in Oliver. Do you mind coming? Oh, no, of course not. You go along. Courtesy, common, ordinary, everyday decency dictates that you go along. But when it comes to the F word, we get weird. I, I've been in, in, in situations, this is absolutely true. We went to this retreat up in, in Nidderdale. Uh, what was that place called on I can't remember that, that uh Swaled, I don't know, anyway, this lovely retreat house, beautiful place in the Dales, you know, walking, and there's, there's a bit of, you know, a bit of fun things to do, archery, and you go potholing and all sorts of stuff like that. And, and a dear lady went, we met her there, and uh, there, was, there was people from all over the country doing this kind of retreat sort of thing, and she brought her husband along. A, a very nice man, I really hit it off with him. But when it came to the whole sort of effort thing, the, you know, faith and church. He, he detached himself. I remember he, he spent one sort of little meditation stood in the corridor outside. I mean, this is weird behavior. Why does it bring out such weirdness? Why do people who are, why does it sort of do this within us? Because it's strange. Because I think in any other situation, people say, let's go, go with the flow. But there is this kind of tension and, and, and when we come to the F word, it, 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 it causes all sorts of issues. And I've been giving this some thought this summer, and I've, I found myself on a bit of a journey going absolutely back to basics of, of what faith is and what I believe and what we as followers of Jesus believe. And I've become increasingly convinced that at the beginning of this new year that, that Rick quite rightly says we're all pitching into, hence all these many videos and things that we're seeing, things we're promoting, it is of critical importance that we actually get ourselves in alignment and we start doing whatever it is we do, whatever we do in the Lord's service and, and, and name, that we do it on the same foundation, a foundation of faith. That's the F word. Uh, and, and, and a right faith, and we need to define faith. So today I'm going to sort of tell you what faith is and what faith isn't. One of the reasons that the F word is so contentious and we get what, in my personal opinion, is this weird behavior by people who otherwise would be perfectly willing to go to the car boot sale or Little Tommy's Oliver or thing like that, but they behave in strange ways, is that people believe that f the faith is about rules. Faith equals rules. It's about a load of do-nots. That is the first misapprehension. It's probably born on a vague understanding that there is something called the Ten Commandments, which they read as a whole load of do-nots, if they've ever read it at all. And so there is this sense in which faith is about rules, about things you do and things you don't do. It's also regarded as something to do with dogma, a system of belief, an absolute uh, system about who God is, who we, are, who we are, the world, how it came about, etc., etc., fill in the blank. You know the script. And so there is this common misunderstanding that as far as Christianity is concerned, it's about rules, it's about dogma, it's about do-nots, it's about a whole host of things like that. And I want you to hear loud and clear 
Please settle this one in your mind this morning. That is not what faith a la Christianity is about. In fact, what I'm about to tell you was the very thing that actually sent Jesus to the cross. It's the very thing. What I'm about to tell you is the very thing that meant that Jesus was unacceptable as far as the scribes and Pharisees were concerned. It's the very thing that that caused the Romans, the occupying power 2,000 years ago, to take Jesus seriously. It's the very reason why the Roman Empire, following Jesus' death and resurrection and the birth of the church, decided that Christianity needed to be stamped out. Now, now bear in mind that in the, the Roman world context, the Roman worldview at that time, they were very tolerant of a nation's religion. They were very, they were great militarists, of course, we know that. But they were great diplomas, di- diplomats as well. And they realized that you didn't, you, you know, you, you, can, uh, you can subjugate a nation, but you mess with their religion at your peril. And they were very, very, very happy that all the, the most, the, the intelligentsia of the Jewish nation were bowing and scraping and sacrificing and doing this on a Saturday and doing that on a Sunday and doing all the other, because it kept them busy. <laughs> and while they were doing all that stuff, they could get on with what they viewed as the real business. So Roman policy was, let them have their religions. We'll include it all. It serves our purpose. But Jesus and the early Christian church got under their skin. There was something about this early Christianity and this Galilean upstart that peeved them. Now last week if you were here, I did a little talk and... and I suppose the, the high point of that talk was, was where we read about Jesus, one of the closest followers of, 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 of read, read about Peter, one of the closest followers of Jesus, saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This was a breakthrough. This was a breakthrough because this began to move away from rules and regulations. What was happening there was that, that, that Peter had begun to realize that, that there was revelation, if you like. He began to see for the first time that actually the Christian faith or the, the teaching of Jesus was more than keeping rules and regulations, ticking the box. And he began that journey of transition to seeing Jesus as something more than a great teacher, a great expositor of the Jewish faith. He began to see there was something special about Jesus. And Jesus celebrated that fact and affirmed that fact in him and then said, as the teaching went on in his teaching, he said various things. And the next little thing I want to to say, and this in some ways is the very nub of it, Jesus said... Trust in God, trust also in me, John 14, 1. Now, you may know this already, and you may sit there blinking at me saying, well, I knew this all along, Chris, what's the matter with you? But actually, this whole idea of trusting in God, trusting in him, believing in him, actually putting your hope in him 
for your salvation, your protection, all the rest. It was a very new thought. It sounds incredible to to many of us. It certainly still seems a bit incredible to me. But actually, in the Qumran, in the Jewish texts, in in the teaching of John the Baptist, there, there was no real exhortation or encouragement to put your trust in God. You just had to keep ticking the boxes. Repent, you know, keep the Sabbath, keep the law, keep the Torah... Keep the commandments and you're okay. Now, curiously enough, in the midst of this, and in the book of Hebrews, those of you who know your Bible a little bit, there is a passage that we call the heroes of the faith. And it's it's a a passage where the writers to the the Hebrews... I'm sorry I'm tripping on my words, guys. I was at this wedding and I'm tired this morning. I really am. If I say something really bad, will you wave your arms? Because I've been known to come up with some terrible sort of things at times so anyway the writer to the Hebrews lists these heroes of the faith and he commends them because in spite of all odds all expectations pressure and peer pressure to the contrary there were people who in the Old Testament the ancient part of the book actually stumbled into faith who found themselves, without any exhortation or encouragement, actually putting their trust in. The most famous of them is Abraham, right at the beginning. But do you see the distinction? I think I'm making it clear. What, was, what Jesus came into was an Israel that was torn and divided for all sorts of reasons. But the religious debate of the day was, are they keeping the law? So when Jesus' disciples had the effrontery to pick ears of corn on the Sabbath because they needed a snack as they were walking across a field, the scribes and the Pharisees blew the whistle and said, "There, look, they're working on the Sabbath. You see, it was all about ticking the box. Rules and regulations. The F word. Things that many people still think faith is about today. But the very heart of faith is nothing to do with rules and regulations. The heart of faith, the heart of faith is putting your trust in God. It's truly subversive. And the scribes and Pharisees didn't get it to begin with, but then cottoned on. And the Romans were certainly behind the curve. But once they realized that the church was preaching trust in God, a personal, you and me having a personal relationship with God, they realized that this was a fundamental challenge to their rule and authority. Because while people were chasing around, doing their religion, their observances, that was all right. That was one thing. But once people start connecting at a personal level with a higher power, suddenly they'll die for their faith. There's a famous scene in, in The Godfather. I think it's in the second, in a lot of the guys like The Godfather film, I'm, I'm certainly among them. In the second Godfather movie about this huge crime fa- family, Al Pacino or the new godfather goes to Cuba and they're they're caught in a traffic jam and during this hold up a terrorist right before their eyes throws himself he's a freedom fighter really 
depends which way you look at it. The terrorist throws himself into the police captain's car and explodes a grenade. This really, really shakes up Al Pacino, the godfather. And in a conversation later on, he said, can the terrorists win? And his host said, oh, no, no chance. The government's got it. And he said, well, you know, I saw a funny thing today. I saw a man kill himself. Without any, he, he threw himself into the police captain's car and killed himself. If people are prepared to die for their faith, there's nothing that can stop them. There's quite a poignant moment in that movie. If people are prepared to die for their faith, nothing will stop them. So the Romans saw this as a dangerous thing. Because as, as long as we're ticking boxes and filling in rules, some days you do well, some days you don't do well. Sacrifice another sheep, poor sheep, but we move on. But once it gets personal, lives are changed forever. A crucial difference. And of course, this goes on because Paul starts teaching about this. Paul an apostle, one who saw Jesus, one of the early founders of the church, wrote, wrote most of the New Testament. He had a testimony which was absolutely in the very center of what I'm talking about. He was a Jewish Pharisee. He was one of the law keepers. In fact, he could say with confidence that according to the law, he was righteous. He was a zealous young man, probably very hard work to be with. Probably didn't have too many friends. But he was a great ticker of boxes. And he got all the rules right. And probably had a huge ego, was very self-righteous and very hard work to be with. His zealousness for the Jewish faith was such that he started persecuting the early church. This upstart faith-based religion. And he went around with letters of authority seeing that early Christians were arrested and sent off to the Roman arenas to be executed. But on one journey, as many of you know, he had an encounter with Jesus. Long story short, he jumped ship. He became an extraordinary advocate for faith. Not the F word. I can do without the F word. But Faith. He realized that actually what God was doing was something utterly subversive. He was saying, you will never keep the rules. The rules were only ever there so that you might learn that your righteousness will never be right. Will never make you holy. Paul says in Romans 1, he says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith, not by rules. Not by rules. So what are all these kind of Christian, why, what are we doing here today then? And what's it all about? 
Well, uh, I haven't got time to teach this. We will be exploring this a little bit more in the next two or three weeks. But simply to say this, that if you get this bit down, that actually we're talking not about rules, but about believing in and putting one's trust in God, you begin to realize just how good God has been to you, to me. And that elicits gratitude in me. That's why Christians should be upbeat. That's why Christians should have a positive outlook. This isn't a should or an ought so much as a this is a commentary. Once we've realized that actually God has done it all for us, that we might know him as father and come home. It's a huge weight. It's a huge weight off. And suddenly I find myself saying, God, You did it for me, but I know what I'm like. My wife knows what I'm like, but you did it for me that I might know you, that I might be loved by you, that I might go to heaven. I get excited, I get pumped, I get thrilled by that. And I said, Lord, you've got to let me do something. Please let me do something. And so the Lord says, you know, you don't really need to do anything, Chris, but if you're really pressing me, I'll tell you what, why don't you look after this church over the next 30 years? (laughs) I think, oh. (laughs) I'm, I'm joking, but you see what I'm saying? I'm not doing this in the hope that at the end of it I'll be good enough or have done enough to have earned, to have ticked, to have ruled enough to get into heaven. I got the gift up front. That's why this faith is subversive because it gives hopeless people hope. I can't tell you how many people are, you know, 30 years of pastoring that have said to me, I'd love to have faith, but you don't know me, Chris. I've done some things in my life. They've already written themselves off. But you know what? God hasn't written them off. This is why this faith is subversive. Because hopeless people are given hope. The last two or three points are going to be much quicker. And many of you will be familiar with them. But it is important that I touch these bases. Otherwise, we'll be missing something. So as well as hope for the future... And the Christians believe that, we do, that life is eternal, that the body may corrupt and die, but actually the life force goes on and on and on. We actually believe that Jesus is coming again, that he is going to put all wrongs to right, and that you and I will reign, will live consciously enjoying God and community forever. We believe in eternal life. We believe that is God's gift to us in Christ. We also believe that God is a a present help. We believe that God is concerned in the minutiae of our life. That's why we can pray for our 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 kids' schools. I met um, little Gabriel. He was sat there just a few moments ago. I was on on my prayer walk during the week, and he was coming through the park on his bike, and he was in a brand new St. Columbus uniform with the stiff collar and the shiny shoes, and it was first day at school. And, you know, we, his mother said to me, would you mind praying for him? And I said, of course I would. We can pray for our kids. We have a God who is a present help. Once you believe that God is with you, once you believe that God is actually in you, in just his spirit has somehow melded with you, You cannot help but talk to him and share your life with him. So we believe God is a God of our future and a God of our present. But we also believe God is a God of our past. 
And there's an important point to grasp in this, that when we consider our past, as Paul put it in Romans 3, we have all fallen short. Now, some of you may be so busy being defensive and self-justifying and all the rest of it. I need to say just peacefully with you, hold, 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 hold it just a second. Because when the news is as good as this news that I'm sharing with you this morning, you can actually own up to anything. You needn't hide, you needn't bury, you needn't self-medicate any longer. And actually it is of critical importance that you don't go down that route. It is of critical importance that you own up before God to what, you, what you've done and what you are. And the scripture says this, like it or not, we are all sinners. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. The one thing the Lord cannot tolerate, absolutely cannot tolerate, is sin and lies. He says of his great adversary, Satan, that he is the father of lies. So if we think we're going to blag or lie or slap God on the back and get our way into heaven on the basis of that kind of camaraderie, we are very, 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 very mistaken. There's only one way to engage with God and to see, know his cleansing, his forgiveness, and this infilling, that's a good word for it, this, this melding of his spirit with us so that we might enjoy him in the present and in the age to come. There is only one thing to do. And many of you who are in relationship know that this works, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. You need to go to your partner when you've messed up and you said, sweetheart, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. It's no different with God. We don't think we can kind of jolly it into his presence just because we heard a good preacher or sung a nice song. We have to come before God and say, God, I don't like this about myself. In fact, I've never even talked to anybody about it. Perhaps I should. Maybe you should. But Lord God, I need your forgiveness. There's a, broke, there's a brokenness in me that very few know about. And I need you to forgive me, to heal me, and to cleanse me. And it doesn't matter how long you've been serving the Lord Jesus, what great exploits you've done or haven't done. This is true from pauper to pope. And actually, that is the basis of this gospel. This good news. This Jesus thing. This faith thing. That we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But, but... Very famous verse to some people, this John three sixteen, verses 16 and 7. It says this, but God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes, that's in the Greek it means put your trust in. Believes that Jesus is who he is, says he is. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn him, to make you feel bad, to hold up a checklist that you keep falling short from. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, God has not washed his hand, his hands of you if you're feeling that you are hopeless. 
Those of you listening on the podcasts and the, the downloads that we do, I want to speak to you too, very particularly. If, if you are just busy being religious because you're ashamed of something in the dark ages of your life, and many people are in that place, I've got good news for you. God sees it and is big enough to deal with it. Just bring it to him, confess it, own up to it, and ask him to forgive you. It'll change your life forever. It'll change your life forever. Finally, Jesus is Lord. Now that is a a, a phrase that if you read the scriptures, you will come across many, 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 many times. And it's important just explaining what that means. You see, when the the translators of the Old Testament were translating Lord, uh, or the word Yahweh in the Hebrew, they they found various ways out of respect for God and his holy name of, of translating that. The Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uses the word Lord. And what it really means is God. Yahweh, God. Now, Jesus' earlier hearers, and the early church knew that. We've lost that. Lord has come to mean something different now. But I want to recalibrate us there. When we say Jesus is Lord, what we're actually saying in truth is Jesus is God. Lord. The Greek from Yahweh, Lord. So Paul can say this in Romans 10 verse 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simple challenge there. Join the revolution. Start vocalizing. Join the revolution. Jesus is God. Tell people what you've heard today. It's about faith. It's not about, you know, what, what I do at church is a, is a response. I'm not trying to say, look at me, God, I'm being really good this week. Bless me. It's, it's an act of love. Just as I, you know, do little things, spontaneous things for Fliss because I love her and Fliss does that for me. It, what we're doing here is, is as much gratitude as anything. Join the revolution. Believe in your heart. Again, move away from this I, I, I see it in many Christians, this desire to do things right because they want to earn favor with God. You know, you cannot earn favor with God in the way that we understand it. Because if we love Jesus, if we put our hope and our trust in Jesus, if we believe that Jesus is Lord, do you know what the scripture says? It means actually with that. That's the only thing that God is interested in, how you view Jesus. And you're in. You have his favor. Because he's sons and daughters. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Jesus is the living Lord. He's not a was and if. You'll find no tomb of Jesus. If there is, there's a couple of them in Jerusalem, I'm told. But they're both empty. Because we believe Jesus is alive. He is God. And as we carry this faith thing with us, So it underpins all and everything we do. And there's power in it. We're in the 21st century. The church is growing. There is power in this message based on faith in Christ as Lord, as Savior, 
in his gift to us of righteousness I'm just struck by the wonderful simplicity of it. And Lord, we just, let's just pray. Let's stand and pray. We'll finish there. If I can have the worship team come up. All through church history, you find people rediscovering this. And my prayer is that many of you will rediscover this truth today. Martin Luther, the great reformer, was a very, very keen and honest young monk. And he tried so hard to be righteous. And he despaired of himself because it was the more he tried, the worse it was. And then he rediscovered this message that the righteous live by faith in Jesus and it changed his life forever let's pray Father I want to say thank you to you because we in the 21st century are now bearers of this message that all acts of service are merely a response to the wonderful truth that Jesus is Lord and that he has died for the sins of the